beautiful. How's everybody? Look at y'all. Y'all got up and got after it this morning. Next week, I'm going to tell you, everybody say 8 o'clock. I'm just saying, I'm just saying. <laughs> Don't shoot me, I'm just a preacher. It'll be less crowded at 8 o'clock. And it'll be less crowded at the 7.30 service on Monday night as well. So uh, just uh, fair warning. But I love it. I love it. I, I got to admit something to you. I love a good traffic jam. It's one of my favorite things around here. <laughs> Easter Sunday morning, I mean, it's clear back to, to Montgomery, and we're like, yeah. <laughs> hallelujah. So good to see you, everybody. Um, I want to talk to you this, this morning. Um, this is, uh, uh, the, the title of my message is The Assumption of Holiness, and and. We're in this Christmas season, and we're celebrating Jesus coming down, and, and the word Emmanuel, I love these songs, Emmanuel, God with us, and the, <clears throat> I think that it's interesting today that we don't become so familiar with church, we don't become so familiar with God, we don't become so familiar with the presence of God that we don't appreciate it like we really should. Her story this past week about there was a, a, a doctor got a call from three other doctors, his buddies, and they were playing poker. And they said they need another partner to come play poker with them. And he's on his phone and he's talking to him. And his, and his wife's standing right there. He goes, oh, oh, okay. Oh, okay. I'll get there as soon as possible. And he's like, she says, what, what's going on? He said, oh, I, I, I've I've got it. I got to I got to I got to go. He said, "Whoa." She says, "Is it serious?" He said, "Yeah, th three other doctors are already there." <laughs> uh, it's not healthy to sneak around number 1. But in order to get what we want, sometimes we go past where we should be. Is there anybody out there that you kind of love your own personal agenda? Yeah. Everybody, go ahead and raise your hand. I, it don't matter. Don't raise it if you don't want to. We already know. <laughs> the assumption of holiness. 2 Samuel, if you have your Bibles, 2 Samuel, bring your Bible to church. It's a good thing. We try to put them up on the screen, but it's a good thing because you might want to underline something in your Bible or highlight something and... And uh, just, just do that. Second Samuel chapter six, verse one. <coughs> Excuse me. Then David again gathered all the elite troops of Israel, 30,000 in all, and he led them to Baalah of Ju Judah to bring back the ark of God, which bears the name of the Lord of heaven's armies who is enthroned between the cherubim. They placed the ark of God on a new cart and brought it from Abinadab's house, which was on a hill in Uzzah and Ahio, Abinadab's sons, 
were guiding the cart that carried the ark of God. Ahio walked in front of the ark. David and all the people of Israel were celebrating before the Lord, singing songs and playing all kinds of musical instruments, lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. But when they arrived at the threshing floor of Nacon, the oxen stumbled. And Uzzah reached out his hand and steadied the ark of God. Then the Lord's anger was aroused against Uzzah and God struck him dead. Sure got quiet. Struck him dead because of this. So Uzzah died right there beside the ark of God. David, King David, was angry because the Lord's anger had burst out against Uzzah. He named the place Perez Uzzah, which means to burst out against Uzzah, <clears throat> as it is still called today. David was now afraid of the Lord. And he asked, how can I ever bring the ark of the Lord back into my care? So David decided not to move the ark of the Lord into the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom. The ark of the Lord remained there in Obed-Edom's house for three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and his entire household. Let me tell you something. Anytime the presence of God is around, there will be blessings from God. God's presence will always, make no mistake, if God's there, there's going to be blessings. Then David, King David, was told the Lord has blessed Obed-Edom's house and everything he has because of the ark of God. So David went there and brought the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with great celebration. Listen to this. After the men who were carrying the ark of the Lord had gone six steps David sacrificed a bull and fatted calf. One, two, three, four, five, six. Sacrifice a bull and a calf. One, two, three, four, five, six. Sacrifice seven miles. A lot of bull. A lot of calves. Seven steps. Big difference. And David danced before the Lord with all his might, wearing a priestly garment. So David and all the people of Israel brought the ark of the Lord with shouts of joy and the blowing of ram's horns. This chapter... Excuse me. This chapter qualifies as one of the difficult passages of Scripture in the Bible. We're taken back at what seems to be, from the outside looking in, a harsh action of God in what we might regard as a merciless act of justice from the outside looking in. Let's pray. Lord, I pray today you would open up our eyes. Open up our hearts 
Help us, Lord, to see what you see. Help us, Lord, to understand you better. Help us to understand the value of your presence in our lives. Help us, Lord, to understand what holiness truly is. In Jesus' name, amen. God established the Levites as the tribe responsible for providing priests and carrying uh, the tent of meeting. God gave different tribes of Israel specific responsibility to meet specific needs. Anyone entering the sanctuary other than Moses and Aaron, Aaron or his sons were put to death. So the Ark of the Covenant or the Ark of the Agreement represented the presence of God. A covenant is an agreement. If you ever go to the bank and you say, I want to borrow some money, what you do, you have to sign an agreement. You sign a covenant with the bank. The bank says they'll do their part, and you say you'll do your part. It's a covenant. When we have a covenant with God, God says, I'll do my part, and we say, I'll do my part. When we have communion with God, uh, <clears throat> last, uh, uh, we're going to have communion on, uh, on uh, Christmas Eve this, this, this month. When we have communion, what we are doing, we are regarding a covenant relationship that we made with God when we accepted him as our personal Savior, when we were baptized in water, <clears throat> when we told God, we will, to the best of our abilities, follow you and be faithful to you. And God says, I will be faithful to you. And we enter into this covenant. And what it says is that when you eat and drink in an unworthy manner, talking about communion, that we eat and drink damnation unto ourselves. Y'all ever read that? What that means is, to come into the presence of God. This is for us today that we, in a worthy manner, we must say, God, please forgive me, purify me, because forgiveness is not just what we do when we walk down the aisle and say, Lord, forgive me of my sin. It says, if we confess our sin, and it's not talking about just that initial prayer where you accepted Christ as your personal Savior, because I don't know, I'm not sure about the world that you live in, but the world that I live in, I have to ask God to forgive me a lot. Yes. Oh, thank you for those few amens. I said, I said... Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Woo! I feel better now. So the Old Testament agreement or the covenant between God and his people required special intermediaries, which were the priests. Now, we know that Christ is the only intermediary or uh, that's needed for forgiveness of sins, and we can go straight to the Father because of, of the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus. So how can we do that? How can we come into the God's presence? And how can the presence of God come to us? Should we light a candle? Should we sing a chant? Should we build an altar? Oh, maybe if we head up a committee. Or maybe if we give a barrel of money 
that would invoke the presence of God. So Uzzah's tragedy teaches this, that God comes on his own terms. God comes. <clears throat> How it would happen was that God, through Moses, he gave specific instructions as to the care and the transport of the ark. And only the priests could draw near it. You remember in the Old Testament that the, the high priest once a year would come in to offer sacrifices for the sins of the nation and they would tie a rope around the priest, the high priest's leg in case that high priest had not purified himself in a, wor in a manner worthy of coming into the presence of a holy God. And, and if he was not worthy and had not prepared himself according to the way that God had asked him to do and according to the covenant that God and the high priest had, God would strike him dead and they would have to pull him out of the holies of holies because there was the outer courts, there was the inner courts, and then there was the holies of holies. And only the high priest, only the high priest could come into the very presence of God and if they, if he was not worthy, God would kill him and they'd have to drag him out because they couldn't go in there and get him because they was messed up too. Yeah. I'm talking about a holy God this morning. You stay with me, stay with me. And then only after they had offered sacrifices for themselves and their families, the ark would be lifted. When they moved the ark, the ark would be lifted not with hands, but with acacia poles. They had rings where they'd run these acacia poles through the ark. And the priest ran long rods through the rings on the corners to carry the ark. The Kohathites are to come and do the carrying, but they must not touch, they must not touch the holy things or they will die. They were to carry on their shoulders the holy things for which they were responsible. They knew Uzzah was a priest. His daddy, Abinadab, was a priest. His, his dad, they were descendants of Aaron. They knew or should have known Maybe they should have known. David <clears throat> knew, or he should have known. Y'all know where I'm going with this, right? He should have known. Uzzah was a, high, was a priest, a Kohathite priest. His dad was a priest. Descendant of Aaron, the ark had been kept in his father. He had kept, been kept in the house of his father, Abinadab. He had grown up with it. He had grown up with it, which might be the best explanation of his actions. Anybody here grew up in church? Raise your hand if you grew up in church. Isn't it something how we can sing, let the 
What did we sing this morning? Let the voice of the Lord say so. Let the, what's that song we sing? What? Let in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy. In the house of the Lord. We will not be shaken, something like that. Won't be shaken. Do you remember that? Did you remember that we sang that song? Was that something that as you sang it, it resonated inside of you? Or is it a song that you thought, man, we sang that song two weeks ago. I can't believe we're singing that song again. <laughs> Do we come to church with our critical hat? Can't believe that they're hanging Christmas trees up above <laughs> the stage. Do we come to church with our critical heart or do we put our heart, our, our heart of gratitude to work for the faithfulness of God when we come into the holy place? We come prepared. You see, he had grown up with it. He gets word that the king wants the chest and says, sure, I can get it, we can... Uh, we keep it outside, out back in the barn, so let's load it up. And uh, the holy, all of a sudden, because he'd been used to it, has been there for a long time, he, uh, the holy becomes humdrum. He said, oh, yeah. <clears throat> and I'll, I'll tell you what I'll do, King David. I'm gonna build a wagon. I can build a wagon. And we'll put that thing on that wagon. It'll be a brand new wagon that I'll build special for this celebration. He says, and and David's like, cool. I'll get about 30,000 people. We'll have us a Macy Day parade. And we'll come down there and and God will be so proud of us. And this will be so, so great. David did what he wanted to do. Uzzah did what he wanted to do. Abinadab was in the middle of it. Not one time did they consult God on what he wanted to do. They were doing and going. The sacred, the sacred becomes familiar. Second rate. So he exchanges, he exchanges the commands for something that's convenient. Ah, which service do I want to come to? Want to be more? I'm sorry. I had to, it it just came in me. Here, but. What's convenient? Using a wagon instead of poles and bulls instead of priests. It kind of makes sense. Kind of seems like it's more practical. Have you ever argued with God about what you thought he should have done? Not knowing the big picture, 
not knowing the, everything that we know about it because whether we want to admit it or not, we, none of us know everything. But God does know and God has his ways and his ways are honestly higher than our ways because he has all knowledge. He is all powerful. He is, is we, we see no obedience or sacrifice, but what we do see is expediency. Let's get her done. We live in a world, don't we? Get her done. God is angered. The image of dead Uzzah sends a sobering and a shuddering reminder to those of us who can attend church as often as we want to, take communion anytime we desire, and live life the way we want to live life. The message is don't grow lax before the holy. See, God won't be loaded onto convenient wagons or toted around by dumb animals. Please don't confuse him with a genie who pops out of a bottle after you rub it or a butler that appears at the ring of the bell. That is not the God we serve. God comes, but he comes on his terms. He comes when his commands are revered, when hearts are cleaned, and when confession is made. I believe that the church has become somewhat familiar with the presence of God because he, he is so accessible to us. The reverence towards God is something that the church, I believe, needs to move back toward, that we have gravitated into the familiar. The ark was Israel's national treasure. It was Israel's most sacred object. It was the presence of God among his people. It, kept, it was kept in the tabernacle in the most holy place, a curtained off location where only the high priest would enter on Yom Kippur, the day of atonement. It's true that the Philistines captured the ark. You remember that, right? I mean, the Philistines captured the most precious thing to Israel, but soon gladly sent it back after God destroyed the idols of their gods, Dagon, and the people were stricken with tumors. That was, that's the Christian King James way of saying hemorrhoids. <laughs> we can say that because we're in cowboy church. Bless you. But King David wanted God's glory back. King David wanted his God's glory back. David's mission is an important holy task. The day David brought the ark to Jerusalem was perhaps the greatest day of King David's life that the presence of God came back to Jerusalem. Three months later, David completed the task, and this time with extravagant celebration, we read that David danced before the Lord with all his might, accompanied by shouts and the sound of trumpets. King David. I thought that this was interesting, that he danced before the Lord so much that it, he embarrassed his wife. 
can't believe you're acting like that. Wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be awesome if we could worship the Lord and not worry about what anybody else thought about us? Wouldn't that be something? Just, just worship and, 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 and do it as unto the Lord the way that you would like to do it unto the Lord and honor and glory and praise toward God. Too many times we are ate up with what people think about us. They're, no offense, but they're probably not even thinking about you. Don't worry about what they're thinking. Don't give them that. Don't give them that. Think about what God's thinking. Made no mistake, Uzzah was slain for irreverence, but it really goes a lot deeper than, a lot deeper than that. The Hebrew people largely regarded the ark kind of like a good luck object. I went to uh, Alaska. Been, I got some friends that we go to Alaska. And uh, we've been three times. And, and the first time we were, we caught more fish than anybody else. And they, their thing was, well, we got the preacher with us. Now, that's all in good fun and everything, but I'm, I'm telling you, let's not look at anything or at anybody as a good luck charm. Please don't ever, please don't, please don't ever do that. Please don't ever exalt, I don't care who's up here preaching, don't ever exalt any of us over any of y'all or over God because we are all, my goodness, the holiness of God for us to be able to come into the presence of God for my unholiness to be able to be in the presence of God is the greatest gift that I will ever have because I don't know about you and I don't know you and I'm not responsible for you. I am responsible to you as your, as your pastor, but I am not responsible for your soul's salvation. You are the only one that can be responsible for that. And please don't exalt man to a place where God, only God can reside. Uzzah saw himself as one whose job was to take care of God. He had God in a box and assumed responsibility for keeping him safe from the mud and the dust of the world. Uzzah ignored, perhaps defied Moses' clear direction on the proper handling of the ark. The church, the modern day church, is offended at the truth of the word of God these days.
in order to be acceptable to God, we must know God. And in order to know God, we must know who God is. And if we want to know who God is, we must know what the word of God says. And if we want to know what the word of God says and how to interpret the word of God, we must have the Holy Spirit of God inside of us. And we must understand what the presence of God is and who God is and who, how I relate and how he relates to me, his reason for me and my reason for him, why he created me and who created me, that he created me with eternity inside of me and for me to understand a holy God I must be in the presence of a holy God and adhere to the holy words of a holy God I'll never know God until I know what the word of God says hallelujah R.C. Sproul, in his book, uh, The Holiness of God, R.C. Sproul points out, he said, Uzzah assumed that his hand was less polluted than the earth. Y'all stay with me. But it wasn't the ground that would desecrate the ark. It was the touch of the unholy touching the holy It wasn't the ground that would pollute the ark. It was the unholiness of the man. The book of Numbers clearly warns that they may not touch the holy objects or they will die. When the holy things become unholy, uh, we have... My friend Dan Patrick, he had him put in the, in the Senate chamber the words, in God we trust. But the words stay there, and the people come, and they go, and they come, and they go, and the words just become words unless people look at them, and they understand that in God we trust. You see, it was the sins of the nation that Jesus died for so that we could come into the presence. It wasn't just an individual. It was the nation who had become familiar with God. It was the king. It was the priest. It was the church. It was the church people. It was everybody. It was like, oh, man. In our nation, what used to be called a Christian nation has become familiar with the phrase, in God we trust, and we have created other gods to trust in in our nation today. And the nation that forgets God, the scripture says, the nation that forgets God will surely die. Why? Because there is no life apart from God. The spirit of familiarity had infiltrated the heart of a nation that God had chosen to bless with his presence. Uzzah substituted what he might have regarded as a more efficient innovation. He arguably had a greater technology, but his method was a direct omission of obedience. Have you ever ever done something you know you should not have done and you said, it just seemed like the right thing to do? Why wouldn't you just put it on an ox cart? That makes all the sense in the world. The priest won't have to carry. We won't need anybody. It'd be kind of cool. It's going to be a new cart. And we can reason. 
We can reason God's word out of our life if we don't know what it says. As a fatally discovered that he was not in charge of God, his method was contrary to God's law, and actually it was offensive to God. The harsh accident raises significant doctrine and a key attribute of God, his holiness. God is holy. He will not be trifled with. We wisely enter his presence with awareness that he is a consuming fire. We do not utter his name loosely or lightly or in a profane manner. This incident, the falling of the ark was a sign, God's way of halting a procession. It seemed right to David. It seemed right to everybody else, but it didn't seem right to God. The Philistines early, you remember, they used an ox cart to return the captured ark, but their ignorance by God was overlooked. Do you remember that? The Philistines, and I asked myself, why didn't you... Why did he zap them? It's just Randy talking. But I feel like I know why God spared them. It's because they had no covenant with God. They had not made an agreement with God. They were heathens. God addressed them as heathens. Have you made a covenant? So when we make this covenant, there are responsibilities that go along with the covenant. Part of the responsibility is reverence toward a holy God. The Philistines without assistance, the ark was divinely guided straight back to Israel. The Jews, on the other hand, ought to have known how to properly treat what is sacred. What's the lesson? It's that we have access to God, but not a casual familiarity. We may boldly approach God with the reverence and with respect. As part of David's celebration, he proclaimed a psalm of thanks recorded in 1 Chronicles 16. This is the good part. It's a, what we call a parallel passage, 1 Chronicles 16. It says, in, in his praise, David says of God that he is to be feared and advises all the earth to tremble before him. And I believe that's why he's counsel considering what happened to Uzzah. Why would David say, it was a, when we say to fear God, we're not saying to be clear, to be afraid of God, but to have a awestruck respect for God, if that makes sense. Why would he say that? Why would David dance after all this was over and they finally got the art back? What I loved about David was that David was a man after God's own, he was after God's own heart. He was a man, so God was, The reason I believe that David 
was a man after God's own heart because he would not live in the offense of man or of God. He lived in the presence of God and he understood that he must not give, must not heed the offense and give more attention to the offense, but give attention to worship and to the presence of God. And when we do that, then peace comes because only peace comes in our lives when we live in God's presence. David had learned to live openly and trustingly and passionately and worshipfully. He, David always said, I was glad, like what y'all did today. He said, I was glad when they said unto me, let's go to the house of the Lord because I'm gonna get to come and be in the presence of God and I'm gonna intentionally worship God when I come into his presence because I'm not just saying in God I trust, I'm saying I trust my God. No matter what happens, I have to be in the presence of God and I will not allow any offense, no matter what happens, to mess that up. It's, it's comforting and reassurance to know that while God is holy because of Jesus, we are now welcome to come before him. So listen to this. Jesus was the only innocent man ever. Jesus was the only innocent man ever to be punished by God. Strong statement, isn't it? Jesus was the only innocent man ever to be punished by God. The one who was holy, who lived a perfect life, who never sinned, the scripture says that he became unholy and he became sinful because he bore our sins on the cross. It says that whenever the soldiers went, to, because the Sabbath was coming, and, and the, everybody knows that the crucifixion is a slow death and, and that it takes a long time for you to die. And in order for you to get your air, you just, you just step up and get your air. And then when you come back down, you lose your, you, you can't breathe anymore because of, it's the most crucial torturous type of punishment there is. And so it just takes forever. And so the Sabbath day was coming, so they had the soldiers had to go around and kill everybody that was on the cross to, to put the, the spear in them and kill them. But it says when the soldiers went, they, all, they killed all the other people, but Jesus was already dead. You remember that? Do you know why? The one who knew no sin became sin. The one who was completely holy became completely unholy. And the air turned cold and the sky turned black because of the holiness of God had been infiltrated by the sins of Randy Weaver by your sin my sin. Let me tell you something. I grew up in church. <clears throat> and I got to confess something to you. 
it wasn't until I got to be an adult and older, I always kind of thought that I was a little better than everybody else because I hadn't done what this guy did. Or I didn't do what this other guy did. I didn't do that. I didn't do what she did. And I was comparing myself with other people in a proud and haughty way. I'm sure you've never done that. But only, only until I came to grips with my unholiness did I appreciate his holiness. Only when I really saw myself in need of forgiveness and in need of a savior. And every week as I go through life, I now pray, Lord, purify me. Forgive me of my sins. Because if we confess our sin, what does it say? He is what? Faithful and just. It's not something we do when we walk down the aisle and just say, oh, uh, please forgive me. No, it's a perpetual prayer that we should always pray. Lord, I confess my sin before you. Purge me and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. My prayer for you today is that God would reveal to you your unholiness so that you could be come into the presence of a holy God. Why? Because that will make you fall in love with God more than you've ever loved God before. The problem is, is that we think we're really something else and we can tell God how it is, but that ain't gonna happen in this house. We have to understand that we got to humble ourselves at the foot of the cross because none of us deserve the graciousness and the favor and the love that God has given to us. We don't deserve it. Oh, goodness. It is only when we begin to comprehend God's holiness that we begin to see the enormity of our sin and the price paid for our forgiveness. Two men, Uzzah and David, one dead, one dancing. What do they teach us? What do they teach us about invoking the presence of God? As this tragedy teaches, teaches us that God comes on his own terms, David's story tells us that God comes on his own terms, but when he does, We come back and we run back to God. Say, God, please forgive me. I was wrong. I'm sorry. And God in his loving nature and who he is, he says, come unto me, all you who are weak and weary, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
I came not into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through me might be saved in the presence of God. So what happened here? I, I have to admit to you, I've read this story all my life, and, and I was, this is crazy, but I've always been a little bit like, man, God, that was kind of tough. What you did to us, uh, you know, that was, uh, yeah, that was strong. So I want to talk to everybody that is offended at God because he killed Uzzah. Y'all with me? I want to talk to you. Here's the presence of God on this ark, and God has given his word and his direction. And what happened, it wasn't just because of the situation, but it was because someone that was unholy became so familiar with something that was holy that they touched the holy and it killed them on the spot. Make no mistake, only the holy will come into the presence of God and only the holy will be able to live forever in the presence of God. Only the holy will be able to go to heaven. Stay with me. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And in this holy place that where the Ark of the Covenant was, when Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the nations, the veil of the temple, the curtain that separated the most holy place, which is the presence of God, from the entire world. The Bible says that the curtain was torn too, that God himself tore the curtain in two so that the presence of God, because of Jesus, we can come into God's presence and God's presence can come to us. And the only way that that can happen without us dying and without us getting killed is because of the blood of Jesus, the perfect sacrifice. Because the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Jesus had to shed his blood. He had to take on our sins on the cross. And when he did that, he gave us access to God where we can actually come into the presence of God without getting killed. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God's plan for you is not for you to die a death like Uzzah died, but his plan for you is to come into the presence of God and accept the sacrifice of Jesus for your sins. That's what we all have to do. And then he says this. He said that Jesus said, you must be born again. When you're born again, what it is, it's that old nature that we kill that old nature in us and we rise up in the newness of God. It doesn't mean that we're perfect. Y'all stay with me here. It doesn't mean that you're a perfect person just because you're a Christian. What it means is that you have, you have made a covenant with God that to the best of your ability, you're gonna follow Jesus. And when you mess up, you're gonna run back to Jesus and confess and say, God, Jesus, I, I 
Please forgive me because I appreciate your presence in my life. And I don't want to do anything to mess up your presence in my life. And so please forgive me because sin separates us from God. And that's why he doesn't want us to sin because we were created for the presence of God to be in us. You remember Adam and Eve in the garden. God would come down in the cool of the evening and talk with them. Why? Because sin had not been entered into the world yet. Now the only way that we could come into the presence of God is because of the sacrifice of Jesus. And he's made that possible for everybody in the world. But it's a choice that each and every one of us make each and every day. Can you say thank you, Jesus? Yes. Thank you, Lord. Oh, we thank you, Lord, for loving us. We thank you for your many blessings. We know that because of you, only because of you, can we uh, come to grips with the sin in our own lives, but also understand that it's not, it, it's not your plan for us to live in our sin or to walk and become complacent or familiar with the sin in our own lives, but the Lord to put it under the blood of Jesus. Lord Jesus, help us to know you more, to know you love us because that's what inspires us. Lord, I pray that you would convict us, Lord, if we have taken on a entitlement mentality where we feel like we deserve you or we confess that we don't, we don't deserve this, but we do it because because we've fallen in love with you because you've sown those seeds of love to us. Bless us, Lord. Bless your church, I pray. Help us, Lord, to be faithful to you. I'd love for you to keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed for just a second. This, this morning, if you've never accepted Christ as your personal Savior, the greatest privilege, like we said, the greatest privilege that we'll ever have is to have the presence of God in our lives. And God's made that possible. The Father has made that possible through the Son, Jesus, so that we could come into, he could come into our hearts and into our lives. If you've never accepted him as your Savior, maybe if you have and you just haven't been living for him, simply by raising your hand, say, Preacher, I need Jesus in my heart. I need to make him the Lord of my life. Thank you, partner. We're going to put a Bible in your hand. Everybody, just leave your hands up until we get a Bible in it, please. Anybody else? Preacher, that's me. Anybody else? Preacher, that's me. I know I need Jesus in my heart. I need to make him the Lord of my life. Thank you, partner. You put your hand down. Anybody else? Appreciate that's me. Anybody? It's the greatest privilege known to mankind. Please don't let pride keep you out of heaven. Anybody else? If you raise your hand, sir, would you look up at me? Would you mind coming up and let me pray with you? Man, I'd be honored to pray with you. I'm so proud of you, man. Man. Tell me your name again. Corey Stone. Yeah, Corey. I want to pray with you, okay? Yes, Let's do that. Just, just, just repeat after me. Say, dear Lord Jesus. Dear Lord Jesus. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying on the cross. Thank you for dying on the cross. For my sins. For my sins. Lord, I am a sinner. Lord, I am a sinner. Please forgive me. Please forgive me. I invite you into my heart. I invite you into my heart. I invite you into my life. I invite you into my life. From this day forward. From this day forward. I give my life to you. I give my life to you. Help me to read my Bible. Help me to read my Bible. To pray. To pray. Show up for church. Show up for church. And get baptized. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Teach me to love you more. Teach me to love you more. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.
you here. So I've already been that. Yeah. So I just to my I got you. Got you. Well, listen. What I want to say to you is these problems that are in your life are still going to be there after you reaffirm and we get things right with God, like what you're doing. But keep acknowledging Him and keep running to Him, Corey. Keep running to Him. You're you're a strong man. Let that strength that God put in you be strong for Him. That makes sense. Hey, do me a favor. Go visit these guys for just a second, if you don't mind. Thank you, Corey. Stand with me, please. You know, I, th- I think it, being in the Christmas season where it's, he says Emmanuel, the name Emmanuel, God with us, I, I know that you wouldn't be here this morning uh, unless you have that heart for God. And, and I just want to pray f- for you and pray with you. And please understand, God is for you. Amen. God is for you. He's not against you. I think it's important that we understand that he is to be revered and to be honored and glorified. But he's, he's up there. He wants what's best for us. Amen. So if you, if you don't mind, I want to pray for you. Can we all raise our hands and just, just and surrender to God? Lord, I thank you, Lord, for loving us. I thank you, Lord, for your blessings. I thank you, Lord, for everybody here today. Lord, I pray, oh God, that you would take these words and this story that's in your book, oh God. You'd help us, Lord, to mold us and shape us after your word and after your will. God, I pray that you would help us, Lord, to be convicted if there's pride in our hearts uh, or if there's issues in our lives that have separated us from you, oh God. I pray that, Holy Spirit, that you would help us to be humble and be teachable before you. Help us to follow you closely in everything we do. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen. We love y'all. God bless you. We'll see you next week. God bless y'all.